What is up fam? This is Morgan McCunis and welcome back for another episode of Midnight Thoughts. Here with me today is Gabriel Good. Hey, what's going on everybody? Gabe has been now my my longest client that I have been working with. Um, I actually met him at F45 and now he has been working with me over at Self Made Training Facility ever since. Um, so he has been a client, a friend, companion, you name it knows everything about me. Um, and I asked him to come on to today's episode because a couple weeks back, maybe a couple months back, mm -hmm. um, we got really in deep in one of our sessions talking about some of Gabe's experiences with life and lessons and um, just sharing a lot that, a lot of things that I didn't quite know about him and explaining me like his journey. And I thought it would be really great to share with you guys a little bit about him. So why don't we just get started with talking about um, what is it you do and how you got into all of that? Yeah, so first and foremost, um, um, I currently work as a business development um, director for a facility that treats mental health as well as mental health and substance use. Um, and really, I fell into it. It wasn't exactly uh, what I expected would happen in my life. It's not really where I thought I would end up. Um, but with that being said, I don't know that I exactly had a map for where this life was going to take me, uh, anyway. I mean, growing up, I sort of jokingly always said that I would be either in psychology or in sales. And as it turns out, I'm kind of, you know, in the middle of both of those things. Um, it's actually something that I, I, I absolutely enjoy. I love building connections with people and, um, and also, uh, you know, building relationships with other, you know, facilities that, that I feel are, you know, treating clients, uh, you know, in an ethical fashion. Not that I am, not that I am the be all end all of, of who's doing what correctly and so on. It's just more of a, of a notion that we have a duty to treat clients, um, treat to complete. Uh, the name of the facility, if I hadn't mentioned already, is Crown View Co-occurring Institute. Um, and, uh, you know, we have a duty to, to really see these clients, um, get better. And I would love to say that all facilities carry that notion, but it's, it's just not the truth. And so what we, makes you guys different than all the other facilities? Well, something that helps us stand out is, is really the treat to complete modality that, um, I, I like to say our two owners really kind of coined. Um, and that is that insurance and insurance companies in and of themselves will uh, determine how long somebody is qualified for care at our, at our facility or any facility for that matter. And um, all too often we find that these clients need to help beyond what the insurance will allow. So ultimately with that being said, most of our clients will end up on a scholarship at some point in their treatment stay with us um, because we know that they are going to need a level of care that extends beyond what the insurance companies will actually uh, cover and or allow. So we have to sort of be ready to take on the responsibility of that client for the long term. And now there has to be, of course, some buy-in right from the client. Sure. Um, and we, we could even see that in application. Like if I was working as I work with Coach Morgan in, in getting fit or, or lifting weights, um, if at any point in time I became really lazy or unmotivated and and uh, you know she's experienced enough in the to know what that that would look like um 
there would probably be a recommendation at a certain point to be like, you know, hey, why don't we take a break or maybe you need to, you know, search out something else. Um, but, you know, that buy-in is key and to be it in fitness or in recovery or whatever the case in life, I find that um, the individual themselves has to have some, have some degree of buy-in. So we do these scholarships for people that are still, you know, actively working on their recovery and, and they're going to come into struggles and that's not something that we, we determine as a, as a need for transitioning on. It's, it's more of somebody that is just absolutely refusing uh, to make any attempts at all to get better. Um, so that's, that's one of the things that helps sets us apart. Plus, overall, as the business model in and of itself is, is one that is almost detrimentally to, to the business, is so focused on client care that it, it really, from an out, out pers- outward perspective, would seem like absolute chaos on a yeah on a daily basis. I mean, you've been there. Yeah, I've I've and, visited Gabe several times. He yeah. actually was the one that ga- granted me the opportunity to open up a facility with Crown Occurring Co-occurring Institute. I never can pronounce yeah, the, it right. No, the, the name is the name is terrible. <laughs> I was a Crown Co Co Co. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, so he's actually the one who again gave Lincoln and myself that opportunity. Um. And. I've been in the facility quite a few times, met mm-hmm. a, several of the clients, um, and I, he even invited me to the gala at one point, and I was able yep. to hear all these inspiring stories from a lot of the clients of their journey, and it was it was actually quite beautiful. Yep. So you you're basically surrounded by like walking miracles. That's true. That's true, and and at the same time, you know, also walking around people that that may not receive the miracle yet. But they're on their way too. But they're on their way. That's right. And sometimes it takes even a, a you know a couple of attempts. Anybody that's been around, kind of a, be it treatment or recovery in any, really in any respect, understands that there's going to be, you know, two steps forward and one step back, and then two steps forward and one steps back. Or, you know, so it's a, it's an ongoing journey. I think journey is probably one of the best ways to, um, you know, really kind of class it. Um, so, you know, as I said, and something that Morgan had mentioned is um, we've had numerous talks, if you will, about um, just kind of life and, and the journey that life takes us on. And um, and as I said earlier, this is not exactly where I thought I was going to end up or uh, not that I was ever really too sure how I was going to end up here. And so realistically, my story starts, you know, much, you know, much earlier, right? I, I, I kind of came up in an interesting fashion and, and um, sharing with the listeners today stuff that, um, you know, Morgan's probably having to hear for a second or, or a third time because I have a tendency to repeat uh, myself. Yes, but yet I do not <laughs> mind. The day that he decided to share all this with me, I don't even think you got a personal training session. I'm pretty sure we sat at the squat rack for like the entire hour. Yeah. And if people are like, are you still using that? I'm like, yes, we're busy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, That's correct. And it, which also adds to my ability to be a business developer. I can just talk. I can talk and talk and talk. So, uh, yeah, tie up your time as well. <laughs> um, but, yeah, like I said, this uh, I find that oftentimes people that get into uh, recovery-based, and by recovery I'm really kind of talking more like treatment, um, rehabilitation, and even sometimes people that get into the fitness industry have an, uh, some kind of uh, life experience that, yeah, what's that, your why? Yeah. What made you get into it? 100%. That's exactly right. 
and and I have kind of a, an interesting why and I uh, my, my recovery began with a program that will ultimately remain nameless just mainly because anonymity is sort of like the sure. biggest aspect of it. Uh, many people understand as they hear my story, if they have any experience, will will know right away what it is that I'm talking about. But, you know, I started off early on kind of doing a, a shift of hands from, from, a, from a biological mother that used substances to my grandmother who was trying to take care of me and my older brother and older sister. Um, as a single working woman, as a nurse. Um, and ultimately, I ended up with my aunt and her girlfriend. Um, and that all happened between the ages of, of newborn to 18 months of age. I, what I learned, unfortunately, and I was not aware of that until much later on uh, in life, is that uh, human relationships, especially where women were concerned, um, would be uh, something that I would, I would have a great deal of love for that person and also never believe that they would stay put. Okay. So those so, are things that you recognize as you got older that you yeah. were brought into believing mm-hmm. as a child. Yep. And there, and, and there's, um, you know, like I said, that came from, that came from a, a lot of, I had to do, go back and sort of, uh, sift through the old stock and trade, if you will. Um, and to, to really kind of come to that experience, but there's also some psychology, uh, studies behind it. They, they call it the attachment theory. And, you know, if there's any listeners out there who are into psychology, I'm sure they'll know exactly. The anxious you know, attachment style. Yeah. The secure, right. the, yeah. and the avoidant. Yeah. Yeah, yep. exactly. That's that. You hit the nail on the head. And, and you guys don't know which one you are. You should 100% yeah. do some research into that because it will tell you like who you are in relationships, especially with partners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I found it as definitely something to have been you know, that really fits. And, and as to whether or not it's, you know, the most valid explanation as to my condition, it's one that I absolutely related to. Um, and, and so interestingly enough, you know, many might say, well, what does that have to do with the, the need for recovery if you're so acutely aware of it? The problem is, is that for a long time, I was not acutely aware of it. My emotional regulation surrounding, you know, relationships and other people, um, was always a little bit on the interesting side in the fact that I could be also very, very aloof with people, you know, kind of build relationships, sure. but also not care about whether or not those relationships lasted. Um, and also, too, I had an interesting sort of, uh, you know, stay close, but let me push you away so I can validate this existing fear that someday you're going to leave anyway. Very interesting. Yeah. Did you recognize at this time that you were doing this or did, or what age or how long afterwards did you recognize that this was something embedded in you that you were just pushing people away because you were expecting them to leave? Yeah. So, I mean, it took a long time. I had to beat my head into the wall, you know, several times, uh, you know, figuratively, of course. Um, <laughs> yeah, I try not to take on walls with my head. Literally, right when you did that, I like looked at the wall and I imagined you just like... banging my head into the wall. Yeah, that's actually how I get into other rooms, right? As I just burst <laughs> through the wall like the Kool Aid Man. Um, <laughs> so, so, so. <laughs> I haven't thought about that guy in ages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of surprise. Here I am. But, uh, <laughs> um, at least I always know where I'm going. Other people are a little unexpected, but. Uh, <laughs> 
Anyway, um, yeah, so, so I mean, you know, with this, this uh, as we'll call it, right, this, you know, potential attachment-based issue, right, um, inside, internally, uh, so even, right, if I dig even deeper in, what I come out to find is that in and of myself, at the core, in the quiet room by myself, I don't feel as if I'm enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not whole enough. I'm not enough. Whatever that enough is, for some reason, I'm not that. And it all it comes all the way back from, but yeah, it's I there's a there's probably a good strong tie to this sort of, you know, misshapen connection that happened right away, uh, from the from from the time of birth up until I was eighteen well, months old. And there is that period of time that I know that when you are born to a certain amount of months, mm -hmm. that if you are not given a certain amount of love, of care, of affection, that it does. It does affect us as we get older. Absolutely, absolutely, and I would say that almost they've done a lot of tests on that. Actually, mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, there's a, um, I'd say that almost connection, really, and 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 safety and security. These are all things that are, you know, sort of formed and valuable right away, in, in early stages of life. And I seem to seem to kind of uh, miss the boat on that. But how that manifested later in life is is. Um, you know, a lot of trouble in in school for you know every single uh, every almost every single grade there was a notable experience where my parents are sitting in the uh, and like I said I was raised by my aunt and her girlfriend and offered really a wonderful life um, you know despite beginnings uh, really given a, a very blessed life a family that cared a family that offered that security and so on however the establishment was was made early on it was there. It was fixed. It was like a foundation stone for the rest of my, for the rest of my life. And unfortunately, least. it was only something that you could change. Yeah. It did not matter what anyone was going to provide for you mm -hmm. if you did not figure out why you were acting out or doing any of these things and making changes towards that. It was never going to stop. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you uh, even as a trainer, you, I'm sure you had this experience of telling somebody, "Man, you're making great strides. You're looking good. You're feeling good." Um, but that person sees themselves in the mirror on a daily basis and sort of, you know, hidden behind that that mask or guise of, of their own eyes, right? You know, they only see they only see what they see. Exactly. And so the same same for me is I had to have yet again, right? I had to beat my head into the wall several times before I said, Oh my lord, I something has to change. You yeah. Know, something absolutely has to change. And so despite my despite my actions in class and sort of disrupting and, and always talking and, and being very stubborn with the teachers. You know, I always got good grades. I built little skill sets along the way to really, uh, you know, kind of try and separate myself and, and bring value. Uh, plus the fact that I, I take, um, I sort of have an eclectic personality in general. I kind of like to explore as many options as this, this, uh, this world has to offer. And so, you know, I, I took on playing uh, piano as a classical pianist from the time I hit third grade and, and took lessons. Clearly. Yeah, I was going to say, this is not low key. Like he is a phenomenal pianist. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I, and I could have taken him much further and we'll get into that. Uh, but 12, 12 years of, of, of classical music training with a Russian piano teacher. And what ended up happening is, yes, I honed in on a talent, but I also built a weapon. Right and a, and a weapon that also saved me from would call would would call people in, but also saved me from a few scrapes. 
um, stuff like when the, when the principal the principal's calling me into the office and uh, you know I might be suspended and or kicked out but I'm also the only one that's playing the Christmas music at the oh, right Christmas event now okay. all of a sudden I'm no longer in trouble and so I realized that uh, while it was something that really suited my taste it was also something that could be used as a as a you know as a potential weapon and so I sort of always parried my trouble with um, or attempted to parry my trouble with intelligence and or skill uh, in some regard or another. So obviously I'm into training, so I've always played sports. That was another avenue. I love playing sports and I've tried just about everything under the sun. Uh, well, I say that, but there's a lot of sports I've never, uh, that I'll never play just because they're not readily available. But, yeah. you know, baseball, soccer, basketball, football, you know, wrestling, jujitsu, boxing, weightlifting. Oh yeah, just, you know, just everything. Just as much as I can grab a hold of, I love to do you know, physical activity on top of it all. So by the time I got to high school, what was uh, sort of developed is this person that's completely at uh, 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 dis-ease or unrest within himself, and that's me, uh, is, is the one that I'm referring to, but um, with really no other solution than to, you know, kind of act out and always act out. Um, it wasn't until that I took that first um, drink, right, because... Uh, uh, for those listeners who haven't picked up on it yet, it says I'm a sober, I'm a sober member of a program that um, that deals in recovery. And um, how old were you when you picked up your first drink? So my first drunk, I will call it my first drunk, was uh, was the summer before sophomore year. It was a uh, um, it was a forty of King Cobra, um, and we smoked a little bud with a couple of homies and and and. Uh, and and we were off to the races i remember thinking to myself almost immediately like oh my god i want to experience this all the time and that became that became kind of like a main drive for me and and it cost me a lot it cost me a lot of relationships it cost me you know uh, freedom at, at certain points of my life um but before it got to that that part i built out another skill where i kind of continue to develop not only in battle uh, you know, my behavior with, with, um, with either good grades and or uh, uh, skill sets. And ultimately, my junior year of, of high school, I got an exchange student. I got to be an exchange student in Germany. And so I traveled to Germany. It was a highly sought after exchange program because it was an entire year. And there was probably about 3,500 applicants um, and only 60 were chosen from the region. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're talking a five or six state region. Um, 3,500 applicants, all of them had, you know, stellar resumes, um, uh, you know, grades, uh, recommendations, and so on. So I guess really at that point, I was on an even playing field as far as grades and the skills and experience and, and so on. So the thing that separated was my ability to talk. I remember they said, hey, we're going to do, we have to do an interview after you pass the first portion of of the application we, we need to do an interview and there was a girl I was dating at the time and I was with it I pretty much had decided that I should probably go to school and tell her like yo I'm not gonna be here next year yeah, just a heads up we're breaking up yeah like <laughs> I'm not gonna be here next year and I didn't have that as a guarantee yet but I knew that if I could get in front of the room of that panel that I could talk my way into this oh yeah so I and that's exactly what I set out to do I remember walking in and seeing and that's All a gift other, on its own, being able to really yeah. show what your worth is just through language. Yeah, that's right. 
and even action too. I mean, a lot of people I've come to find, and I use this genuinely these days, but you know, the value of looking somebody square in the eye and grabbing their hand and shaking their Absolutely. hand. Absolutely. Yeah. saying, you know, Hey, it's good to meet you. And they want to know at that point, who is this individual that just, you know, just entered my space. Right. And that's, that's my what dad I always taught me that too. Mm-hmm. And like, keep in mind, like I'm from Boston and I'm also female, but obviously, <laughs> but <laughs> unless you have a great surprise, yeah. <laughs> but my dad show. like always taught me that you shake someone's hand when you meet them. Mm-hmm. And when I moved out here, people looked at me like I had like six heads because I would always look them in the eye and shake their hand. Yeah. And that was just how I was raised to introduce myself to people. And it's, it's definitely something that throws people a bit for a whirlwind. Like it's a, it's a confidence thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you can really command the space uh, just by walking in and, and putting that presence out on the table. Yeah. People automatically, and they, they respond to it. It's magnetic. Um, uh, people, it, that's charisma. That's power, right? I mean, um, at least that's what I've always, how I've always uh, come to understand it, right? And, and have seen it work, um, you know, firsthand is that even if you didn't say much, what you did do was you came in, you shook it, that person's hand, yeah. looked them square in the eyes, and all of a sudden you were there. Yeah, totally. You know, so that's exactly what I did. I walked into a room of like maybe ten people, ten adults, right, um, all scanning these applicants to find out who's the ambassador, the American ambassador they're going to send over there. And boy, did I have them fooled. I went in there. <laughs> I had them fooled. Yep. Yeah, I went in. I shook their hands. I moved around the table. And then proceeded to tell them exactly what they wanted to hear of their American ambassador. And truthfully, when I look back on the experience, some of it I'm very, very proud of. But some of it I'm also a little like, ooh, man, I, they probably should have picked somebody else. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, the legal drinking age was 16 over there. And that's absolutely I set out and, and uh, drank. Sent it. You yeah, sent it. I did. I went. I went deep. I uh, drank um, tons and tons of really great beer. Uh, spent a lot of time hammered um, playing soccer, and as far as um, the the schooling in and of itself was was considered, I, I did um, pretty much my junior year and senior year worth of cl- of classes and class credits while I was there in Germany. That's how many that's how many classes they they want for a person to have is some kind of thirteen or fourteen different different classes. So when I came back to the states, I was I was sort of tasked with a new dilemma was re-entry uh, and that re-entry was not easy with the uh, the re-entry process was uh, my the certain freedoms that I had as a teenager over there I didn't have when I got back certain rules applied right you can't you can't drink you can't smoke cigarettes American parents don't just let their kids wander the streets and mm. so on and so forth. It's a huge culture shock when you get back. Huge culture shock. And the other thing that was very interesting to me was that all of the people I was friends with in high school and all the jocks and, and all the various groups of people that I knew looked at me like, oh, you're just the guy that disappeared for a year. And all of a sudden I was... I was a, a I was good. I was as good as a foreigner. I was as good as somebody that had never gone to that school before, and I remember it just blew my mind. Like, wow, in such a short period of time, all the quote unquote friends you think you gain over time, it it really whacks you in the head very quickly that life doesn't always operate that way. Yeah. And so, 
I came back with this, you know, raging drinking issue, right? And and uh, and then of course wondering who who wants to party and no yeah, one wants to party yeah. with you. Nobody nobody was even ready to keep up in the oh. age range at that point. Um, and so you know, I started in with uh, with with drugs and as well, and that's a big portion of my story. And unfortunately, that that characterizes probably the next you know almost almost ten years of my life. Uh, beyond that point, um, I did get accepted into a college, and, and really all I did was stay there. Uh, I went into the dorms. I, I, just, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't exactly go to the classes, uh, you know. Um, and so I the, thought. I thought the classes were optional. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I may have actually become. I thought they were strongly yeah, encouraged. Yeah, I may have actually become an example in one of my psychology classes. I don't remember it all that well, but you know, I somehow came out with a B in that class, and I don't think I attended more than a couple of or a handful of classes. My roommates were furious. Because uh, they all got D's in the class, and somehow I came out with a B. And I'm really quite certain that the teacher just made an example out of me one day when I was out of my mind. So I'm not sure. That's where the B came from. That's where the he B didn't came from. He didn't want to lose from. his job. Yeah, he's like, look, I'm going to cut you a deal, right? <laughs> While I'm completely out of it. Um, we're going to make an example of you today, but I'll give you a good grade. But um, I was as equally as surprised because all my cousins went to the same college. So yeah. I'm like, when my cousin who ran the admissions department called me in and said, what are you doing? You did manage to get a B in psychology class. I don't know how. And I'm saying, you don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know how. At any rate, so yeah, I, att- I stayed at that college for, for a year. And this is the part earlier where I was talking, like playing, playing piano. I, I would have had an opportunity to, um, I would have had an opportunity to potentially get a scholarship to, to actually play uh, classical music at that college, um, but you know this internal piece, this this piece that is Gabriel left unchecked in a quiet room by himself, saw the competition, and I was no longer the best in my small pond. I was now I was now in a music department where people were really good they were and talented. really really dedicated, and that is a big thing I think when people do go to college is you are no longer. You know, you go from high school where you are the best at what you do and you go to college. It's like everyone here now is just as good as you, yeah. if not better. And it is really, honestly, a big shock to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And that's definitely where the confidence starts to get flustered a bit. And Oh, yeah, absolutely. I saw the competition that I was that I was really looking at. And I remember, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you. I thought these fucking nerds like I'm not <laughs> putting this much time into my into my musical uh, ability as these guys. And it's really, it's not that they were nerds, it's just that they knew what they wanted. They they were dedicated to what they were doing. I was more into sex, drugs, and rock and roll at that time. And so there was, there was, there was no, I'm going to be spending my life dedicated to classical music. I just pretty much put it on the back burner and, um, you know, continued to do what I was doing, which was really just a matter of jeopardizing uh, you know, my future as a, as a college student and so on. And I end up just getting, coming back home and, and, um, you know, things, things kind of just progressed in that way. I gain relationships and, and end them. Um, I, nobody would be all too shocked to find out that I just pick bad relationships because at that time it, it suited, it suited my need. Well, and that's the thing too, is when you are not in a great place and if the things that you're mm-hmm. doing in your life are toxic, then that's what you bring towards your life. Yeah. You know, like, you know, it, it amazes me when I hear people say all the time, like, 
I always get into relationships like this. Like I can't find someone who treats me like this. And I'm like, look at your life. Like yeah. it's, it is insane. Like you are in your life is just, it's, it's a clusterfuck. Yeah. So how funny. can you expect like a healthy person to come to you and come into your life when you can't even get your life to be healthy? On 100%. Its own? Yeah. We are, we put out, right. We put out what we want to receive. And it's like, we, we, be, we become magnets for that. That, exactly. Whatever place we're in. And so when we are toxic, mm-hmm. we invite toxic people into 100%. our life. And that's when our relationships are toxic. So when you're sitting there honestly trying to figure out how am I supposed to break out of these toxic relationships, the first thing to start with is yourself. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. Yeah. And nothing nothing will fix it but me and 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 the work that I put into exactly. it. Exactly. That buy-in. And so ultimately, that's that's really what it boiled down to is one one more final failed relationship with the with the her that was going to be you know the misses like the, the whatever yeah exactly the 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 woman that you know fixed the time and and ultimately to find out that her toxicity my toxicity they don't mix is like oil and water you mm-hmm. know and and that exploded um, I kind of like shelled up into this screw everybody. Uh, type personality and um, and I was off to the races um, and I collected a couple stints in jail and a couple run-ins with the cops and and um, and I remember and this is the part where I think I was talking to you about the one day in the gym was one morning I kind of came to and I was in a uh, you know what we call it just a trap house in in El Cajon um, San Diego for those native San Diegans that listen um, and, and completely up to no good, right? Nefarious acts. And, and I remember somebody was walking by that I thought owed me something. And rather than, rather than go after that guy and try and collect up what I thought he owed me, I just had this calm, this feeling of like, I'm, I'm done. I, I got to get out of here. I am, I am done with this lifestyle. Something just kind of hit you. Something hit me, something brought on a, a sense of, of peace and and also too is, is something you know kind of told me like you got to get out of here and you got to get out of here now so i walked out of el cajon on that day and and i i caught my last free trolley ride back into san diego and i met with some uh with some some people that um uh that i knew were uh sober and doing work on themselves and and kind of living a good lifestyle and um and i asked for help because at that point, I couldn't do it by myself. I needed somebody else's help. And um, What would you say was it for you that, obviously, like you felt like you were hit with something, but mm-hmm. was it something that you could see on the horizon? Like you knew you were meant maybe for something bigger? Or was it just... Actually, I was shown, I was shown the light of something different. I was actually shown my life should I choose to stay where I was at. How so? So... I felt like in that instant where I was get out of here now, the answer was get out of here now and there's a chance. And if you don't leave right now, you're going to be stuck here forever. And with a couple of the instances that you had ran in with, with the cops beforehand, mm-hmm. you weren't you at this point where it was like no more mess, no more mistakes. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually correct. The last time I was, um, was sitting in jail. I was. I was. I was actually when as I was being released, the lawyer uh, the, in the courtroom had said that if you show up here again, you're gonna do, you're gonna do a lot of prison time. So, um, and and I would love to say that actually deterred me, 
from from what I had been doing. That's actually not the case. The moment I got out of jail that night, I was loaded again. I was loaded again, and I got pulled. I got hemmed up by the same sheriff car walking back to El Cajon three times that night. I got off of the trolley in Lemon Grove, and and I started walking back to El Cajon, and that's a pretty long walk. And the same sheriff car pulled up, asked me what I was up to three times in my walk back to El Cajon that night. And um, the first time he was really concerned about what I was doing. The second time he was only semi-concerned about what I was doing. And the third time he ran into me, he was uh, he pretty much recognized it was the same guy he already stopped two other times before. He pulled over, looked at me, and then he kept driving. Now, I'm, I'm, this is where I'm a little bit lucky because in that particular instant, um, uh, you know, I was already, I was already holding substances and, and other uh, paraphernalia and so on and so forth. I, I had picked up almost immediately after I'd gotten off the trolley in El Cajon. What was your mind thinking when this cop kept pulling up three different times? Uh, oh, my God. That's, I'm, I'm going back to jail. That's what I thought. Each one of those times was like, and not not what one second you thought I'm gonna rip this stuff off of me and leave it here. I'm, no, no, you no. were like, no, I gotta get this stuff to where I'm going. Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I said, I gotta beat my head into the wall several times before before it actually makes yeah. sense. Because <laughs> uh, that would be logical and reasonable, <laughs> right? To to just get rid of those uh, substances, but. But so obviously then, for you at that time, it wasn't logical and it no. wasn't reasonable because no. you're not the person that you are now. So back, like, yeah. obviously in that time period, it, it did, that, that didn't make sense to you. No, absolutely not. It was more of a take my chances and let's see. But uh, the, the funniest part is that before I left jail, in that, in, uh, you know, I had sort of jokingly said to several of the other inmates, right, like, I'm going to end up back in here again, like right away. And, and I almost did. Three times in the same night, I almost did, you know. So, you know, it's it, nonetheless. It, it we're fat. We fast forward to a couple months down the way when I get this this clarity or month down the way, whatever it was, when I gain this sort of clarity behind um, what was going on. It was just this: you have to leave now, or you're going to be stuck here. And by stuck here, it could have been, it could have been prison or the same group of people or El Cajon, the point was is that I was stuck in a very, very toxic place around other toxic people and I wasn't going to go anywhere if I didn't leave right then and there. And so I walked out, asked for, you know, for some help from friends and, and, uh, and you know, fast forward, you know, to almost 10 years or a little over 10 years. This is, this is my life today. And what that looks like nowadays is, has been a lot of like, self-work, recognizing who I am, why I do the things I do. And, and oftentimes the, the sort of mistake or misstep or misthought is that, you know, oh, well, it seems to make sense, the drugs, the alcohol, and so on. Um, but, you know, in all, in all honesty, that, that was actually the solution to the problem, which was Gabe. The problem was, was Gabe because in what, because of what I think of who I am and what I think you think I am when, when I'm all alone, those are, the, those are the things that fuel the need for some type of substance to fix that issue, to bring me that sense. I'm, essentially, I am somebody that it can, can be at odds with the world 
at almost all times. And no matter what I do, what talents I bring in, skill sets, it just doesn't tally up as enough to fix that hole that's within. So substances, in one way or another, fixes that. Makes me not have to care what you or anybody else in this world thinks. And that's when all the trouble begins. That is one of the most powerful things I think I've heard. That is exactly what it is, too. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the times that people are consuming drugs and alcohol, it's because they are not willing, nor do they want to face the fact that they are their own problem. 100%. They throw all these issues at everybody else. Say, well, fuck Mm -hmm. that person. They don't want to be around in my life, this, that. But they've refused to look in the mirror and let alone even be sober to feel that feeling inside of that. They're not happy with themselves. Mm -hmm. And whatever is missing is because of them. That's right. That's 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 the ticket right there. Is that that's that I always refer back to that little voice that exists for Gabe when he's in he's in a room all by himself and nobody else is around. What do I think about myself? If I can sum up, you know what? Generally, I'm a u- useful, helpful, whole kind of person. Somebody that other people want to be around. Somebody that is is genuinely concerned for others' well being. Now that's a place I can stand. That's footing that I can build on. Absolutely. And you know, how we think about ourselves, how we feel about ourselves, Mm -hmm. it comes out in everything. You can literally look at someone's life and recognize pretty quickly if they're happy with themselves, Mm -hmm. if they love themselves, how do they treat themselves, look at their relationship, Mm -hmm. look at their job, Mm -hmm. look at their, look at their circle of friends. Absolutely. People that really truly love themselves, keep themselves in circles of people that are good for them, that make them feel great about themselves. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and being in, uh, you know, being in um, training with you and, and being in the gym and, and taking, you know, steps towards, you know, always, you know, not only living in a, in a life that enjoys athletics and, 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 you know, set of, you know, kind of always keeping that mobility, right? Yeah. Which is a joke. In Which is hilarious itself. because you don't you, do the mobility. Right, because yeah. I don't do the mobility <laughs> exercises. Um, but uh, staying somebody, you know, as somebody that is, is active in athletics and in all its forms is really just another way to further, uh, you know, the, 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 I guess, daily gift or daily choice, both really for that matter, um, gift and choice of, of staying in a state of constant improvement. You know, what's amazing too, is obviously you've been, you said 10 years sober Mm -hmm. and where you are now, Mm -hmm. did you ever think that what 10 years ago you were going to be where you are now? Absolutely not. I didn't know what, I didn't know what the next 10 years held. All I knew is that I had the life I was living. I, I didn't want anymore. And I had a mountain to climb. Yeah. Beyond building, re, rebuilding relationships. See, my folks, like I said, and I mentioned them just a little bit, they provided such a wonderful uh, life. Some of the wisest people I know. Um, you know, what that relationship looked like was absolutely destroyed when I walked out of the house the last time, um, you know, as I was getting, when I was, when I was getting loaded to the point where one of my moms looked at me and said, you know, if you show back up here again, I'll shoot you. Oh. Because at least I'll know where you were at. Yeah. So that's where that relationship was. So I had to re I had to rebuild that. I had bills to pay. I had probation or you know, yeah. Obviously I had to get right with the state and then and then start to build 
not not just and then, but on top of building my own life and sobriety, which which is a mountain of work in and of itself, is sort of finding the narrow space between all the bad things I did does not define who I am. Absolutely. And you know, one of the reasons that I also wanted you to come on this episode today was because where you are now, you know, you're the head of a department at the company. Like mm-hmm. you are in your own successful. And mm-hmm. it, it it's something that on, on the West Coast, like when I met you and we talked about your story and like I obviously I saw your work and all these things. I was like, oh, damn, like this this guy is doing like really well for himself. Like, yeah. And then you told me more about your story. I was I was thrown for a whirlwind a bit because on the East Coast, you could get a DUI and it will inhibit you from getting a job. Mm-hmm. You could have a tattoo that's visible. It will inhibit you from getting a job. But over on, did I say East Coast? That's on the East Coast. Well, over on the West Coast, you know, it's it's a bit different. And you mm-hmm. are a like phenomenal example as someone who did turn their life around and mm-hmm. showed that you can still be successful even like no matter what and it doesn't Mm -hmm. of course like sometimes people get life handed to them a little bit easier i mean but at the end of the day you were handed a great you were handed a pretty decent deck of cards with Mm -hmm. you know your aunt and her girlfriend Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day like you still unfortunately had to work through some stuff that was bringing you down a certain path but it was not too late for yourself and it's not too late for anybody that's right i think that if the work if an individual is willing to put in the work on themselves i mean you know, and, and, and like you said, I mean, that's really kind of a great example is you could have be brought up in absolutely nothing. You could also be brought up in absolutely everything. And at the end of the day, all of that is but a symptom to who the individual is when nobody's nobody's looking. Absolutely. That core determination. And it's really, you know, sometimes sometimes we require help with that. Sometimes sometimes I like I know I can only well, truthfully, I can only speak from my experience. In, in me in any of those situations, given the story that I've just provided, um, I am I am the type of individual that needed help. I am the type of individual that needed a group of strong friends that were doing the right thing and and you know that that too had recovered from you know what would be a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body uh, to to kind of say, hey, we're willing to help you as long as you got the buy-in. Here's Here's how you do it, right? What do you think is the biggest reason why people don't don't get help from themselves? You know, it's a it's a it's a it's a hard question and one that became even more difficult the more I got involved in in treating uh, mental health. To be honest with you, there's any number of reasons why, um, but but it what what is true is that it there has to be a, a, even an inkling of desire to change somewhere in there has to be that I want the help, but I can't seem to do it myself. I always, I have these conversations with people quite often actually. And it's that, you know, you cannot force someone to want to change. No, they have to want to do it on their own. And if you try to force them into it, they're just going to push you away. They'll blame you. They'll push you away. They may even, they may even, you know, they may even do well for a period of time. And then when it all comes crashing down, you become the scapegoat. See, if you hadn't pushed me, this would have never happened. And it's, you know, so I guess one of the safest answers around the group of, of, of 
anonymous people I'll tell you, I, that I mentioned earlier is there's a general uh, consensus that the individual that is willing to be honest with him, him or herself is the one who will find the, you know, the, the, the path to, to, you know, recovery or recovering. Uh, I always like to say recovering because it's, it's, a, it's a constant state of forward progression. Um, on any given day, I can take action. Uh, I can take any action uh, that, that could put me at the same risk of, of becoming that other person. If I, some, if I take an action that shatters that sort of this, this, um, this person that I, I try and be, you know, I can always put myself at risk. Um, and as I've gotten, this is interesting, I always, as I've gotten, you know, longer and longer sober and more involved in, in staying in a state of recovery, I've often found that self, self-acceptance is, is key. And, and really what I mean by self-acceptance is understanding that I myself really am two polar extremes and everything in between. And so while that makes a lot of logical sense for any of the listeners that are kind of like, well, yeah, duh, that makes sense. <laughs> like, why do you need to bring that up? It's um, I've, when I explain that if I live in a state of, you know, I am constantly good, I am constantly, you know, helpful, I'm constantly whole and the, the, then it starts to shy, you know, kind of kind of blend into I am the greatest person you've ever known. Mm-hmm. You would be blessed to know me. And I, all, of a sudden, all of a sudden, I place myself up on a pedestal. And that's almost equally as damaging because if something bad happens, right? If, you know, if something bad happens that knocks me down off that pedestal, it's really difficult to ask for help at that point in time. Your ego gets in the way. The ego gets in the way. Now, to completely deny the fact that I still have some scumbaggery, we that, all ha- we, yeah, all we all have some exactly baggery. exactly that's that's and that's the that's the key element is that I have I have both a helpful useful whole side and I also have this this is this is side. why we do get along so well we yeah. do we both have that you know I am the kindest person you've ever met I really want to do everything to help you but yeah like I will yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, I, I, maybe I, I don't actually want to help you. How about that? I've, yeah. I've, done, I've done some yeah. schemey stuff to get into a bar here yeah. and there. Like, yeah. you know, like, yeah. sure. Yeah, so... I'll run out on a tab here yeah. and there. Like, Yeah, so recognizing that those two things still exist allow me a lot more freedom to sort of operate somewhere down the center of, sure. of, of humankind and all of its flaws yeah, you're, and beauty. You're allowing yourself to be human. That's right. That's right. I don't have to be one and I don't have to be the other. You don't have I to beat just... yourself up for the for the things that yeah. you mess up on. It's okay to sit there sometimes and just be like, yeah, that one was a doozy. Yeah. Well, I should probably not do that again. Yeah, yeah. that wasn't my best move. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, might, I might have hurt someone's feelings there. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's, I mean, really, that's me in a nutshell. And it's, um, you know, I always tell people it's been one hell of a journey. If I ended it, if, if I ended it, if it ended for me uh, today... Uh, you know, getting to wherever it is that I'm getting on the other side, I would just simply say one hell of a ride. That's that's what it was. It was one hell of a ride. I've had really high highs in my life and I've had really, really low lows. And I've also, you know, sort of navigated somewhere down the middle. I've seen tons and tons of beautiful stuff. I've met all kinds of really great people, um, met some really, really terrible people too. Um, so, you know, it's, um, but in a constant state of progression and I feel like uh, empowerment that, that, that yeah. this thing that you have is is really kind of like a testament to exactly that is being you know 
being empowered, empowering others, and 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 empowerment in general is is really kind of a powerful thing. So and that's even what you do, just a little bit every day. Yeah, that's right. And that's what we're all trying to do is we're all trying to come together and start making an even bigger difference in the world. Hundred percent. Well, thank you very much, Gabriel, yes, for joining me today. No problem, no problem. And I will see you guys all again next week. 